0: Ignition sequence start. 5, 4, 3, 2. Welcome to another edition of Did You Bring the Batteries? Powered by ArmUS. I'm going to get into your podcast and commands. Brian Calhoun, uh, excited for this week's episode. I'll get to that in a second. We have a very special guest. You probably already knew that. If you read the description on this episode, Kevin Toddrow, you know who our guest is. You just finished talking to him.
1: He's a legend. What can I tell you? <laughs> a little bit more
0: than that it's not like i gave you very much to work with so i'm not going to really jump into you because i have the chance i'm going to let that one slide especially since you pay my paychecks but one chad walker joined us once again from the utah office chad it has been what months at this point how the heck are you
2: doing well it has been months
0: what's going on down in utah kevin was there recently but i haven't been down to utah in a long time so what have you guys seen down there that's pretty new
2: no, finally the weather's cooled down, so it's more comfortable to be outside. But no, we've just been here doing sales, busting out quotes, getting the spot and Fido out there.
0: Ah, yes, Fido. Yep. Should we talk about a new Fido thing quickly? Let's Fido. So Boston Dynamics Spot robot, super useful robot out of the package. But hey, we feel like we can make it better. So we came up with our own solution called Fido, which I'll let Chad explain.
2: <laughs> yep. Fido, find, identify, detect, observe. You can get multiple payloads. So, you can I, get right. the uh, the thermal PTZ yes. camera system. Uh, you can get the arm, the functionality. There's multiple uses that Fido can do.
0: Maintenance, right. for example, is, is a big one. Sure, sure.
2: And, and and again, for the public
1: safety, the big thing on this is the is the mesh radio system communication system integration. So both Ragent and persistent systems are available right off the bat. We can also do silvus. So. Uh, depending on what uh, the agency is using, that's a huge thing. And so, obviously, the base spot level is Wi-Fi, and so it's a little different if you're inside a building that you own, as opposed to, you know, deploying somewhere where you've never been, where you don't, you know, you don't have the network. It's not like yeah. you're going to say, hey, you know, we're going to just figure out how to get spot on the network of this random building where there's an active shooter, right? So. Uh, doesn't quite work that way. So Fido is really designed at, at having an out-of-the-box solution to be able to do that, and we expect to see some continued uh, availability of new, new public safety-specific sensors for Fido as well. So obviously, Chad and the boys down there, and, and uh, Usher and the team up here are, are actively uh, at work, and so uh, so we will have um, uh, we will have some demonstrations for that happening in October up here. And then they're ongoing in uh, Utah and uh, the southern neighbors. Now I must also say that Chad is uh, just got back from vacation. is looking extremely relaxed. I wish all our listeners could, you know, be viewers to really appreciate the the ma- uh, the majestic nature of Chad at this moment.
0: I don't want to make this a video podcast. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we, we don't have uh, we don't have the time just yet. Audio's easier, so we'll stick to audio. <laughs> we don't have also the experience because anyone can put a camera in a room and turn it on. And then like you will get an image, but is that image good enough? And I don't feel like we have that experience yet, but I know someone who does because he was on television for six years. He's made his own documentary. The man is actually employed in the airline industry. And I thought, hey, radio is my background. It taught me You don't treat anyone like they are not able to learn, but never assume they know what you're talking about. So always start with the basics. So I mean, the first thing was, hey, can you just give me your breakdown, your resume? and what you do.
3: Yeah, my name is Mikey McBrien from Buffalo Airways, TV show Ice Pilots. Worked on a bunch of TV shows behind the scenes, including a Canadian show called Arctic Air, and an American show called, um, was it Alone? A whole bunch of stuff. And from Hay River Northwest Territories, I currently at Buffalo Airways work with a lot of vintage airplanes, and a very minor drone enthusiast, but I was very lucky to see, to be a part of the television industry with the evolution from the very expensive helicopters when the cineflex cameras down to uh, a drone that can fit in your pocket
0: i would say that your experience in the drone industry professional drone industry is extreme and well documented because you listed off all the shows you worked on i don't think all of them but most of those use drones i think in fact probably even the uh, documentary you made uh pixelated heroes i believe you probably had drone footage in that as well yeah
3: Let's talk about I, that. I guess it'd be to start with today like i have a the mavic mini two I, i don't know if it's one or two but the thing's amazing i'm all thumbs but luckily a drone you just use your thumbs right so i can get all the shots and stuff myself which is very very cool and preaching to the choir you know the drone community but looking back to what it was back in like 2008 2009 when you had to get those drone shots for television now television quality you know sometimes people hear about like netflix cameras and stuff so like television have their own kind of frame rates and resolutions and that kind of stuff. And that's why GoPros came into television a little bit later because the initial GoPros were, they weren't television approved. So in the beginning, there was a guy named Ian Kier. I think I might be saying his name wrong. He was from Vancouver. He basically was the one guy that could operate the one 4K camera. And he would come up with a helicopter that mounted on and then we would do all our drone shoots, shooting with the helicopter. Over the course of a few days and use that footage for the the rest of the season so it was highly expensive i know we were looking at maybe ten thousand dollars a day to use the helicopter and the cineflex camera and the stabilization and the reason we were using 4k back in the day of course again like you guys know is the tv show was in hd but with 4k you could use software stabilization because stabilization back in 2009 wasn't like it is today so they overshot it to use the the stuff so that going to what we can do today where you can just run to Amazon get yourself whatever you want and you could become a filmmaker which is absolutely amazing and, and to be the last generation of in television to see how it used to be to what it is now there is really no excuse why anyone can't create right now it's everything is there. And it's there next day if you got overnight shipping. <laughs>
1: We've certainly had our issues shipping stuff to Yellowknife, that's for sure. So if anyone knows of ye- uh, overnight shipping to Yellowknife from anywhere, please do let us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do.
3: Yeah, we do. That, the C46 and DC3 this morning, we came in. We got uh, FedEx, UPS, DHL, Loomis. Canpar, McKesson's, these are a lot of Canadian companies, uh, Canada Post, it arrives uh, C-46. I got my Amazon stuff this morning, next day, and it arrived on an airplane that our grandfathers flew in World War II.
1: Now that we have the direct line to Mikey, we need to figure out we'll have our own little drone shipping service up to Yellowknife. So, uh, mm, yeah, there you go. So yeah. good job, Brian, yeah. on on the booking on this one.
0: How much yeah. do you think you could carry with your little Mavic drone?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not much. I think my little prop guards are as much as I can carry because I need those because I I get a little adventurous and I fly through the airplane and stuff, and then it never ends up well. I hit the hangar door and completely demolished it, and I had to send it in back to DJI for that you know that care program, whatever. So I'm a little, I like the stunt flying because you get the best, the best shots, but definitely not those racing guys, but maybe a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's great. The drones again are an absolute game changer from what it used to be. Literally a kid in his basement can get shots that would have cost tens of thousands of dollars in the early two thousands.
0: Yeah. I was having this conversation with school the other day where they had an old photo of their campus and I was like, that's great. But just imagine how much that would have cost aviation fuel. Licensing fees to take off from the airport—it's insane what you can do now. We can capture with it. But Mikey, since we're building this relationship, just heads up—if you ever need your Mavic fixed again, send it to us. We can take care of that. You guys can take care of the shipping. We'll take care of the repairs of the drone. That's great. Where I came from was that drone racing background you were discussing. And to be honest, I'd be terrified to take my drone into your Hayner with all the expensive equipment in there. But I am kind of wondering about, you said you flew it, but you are surrounded by licensed pilots. We are licensed drone pilots, but you guys can actually take manned aircraft up in the air. Do you ever hand your drone off to any of them and say, hey, let's see what you guys can do with it? And I was just wondering, do those skills translate and can I get a job? But also more, (laughs) do do the skills translate?
3: The one thing they do translate is the RC guys. Of course like the that when aviation is so broad right there's there's so much that you know everyone always kind of focuses on the pilots part of it but you know you got mechanics you got you know sim guys you got artists you got embroiderers you got drone guys you got everything the one thing i see is like the rc guys really really get into the the drone part of it because it takes the skills from the radio control world and and puts it into that with the my drone again which is just the simplest one i just like to go fly with it sometimes and 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 see what i can get get the shots like a lot of it too is like even the pictures like uh, like for instagram and stuff because the one thing you notice and i notice too is everybody has that picture like you know the picture from five feet every picture every took is from five foot or four foot depending on how tall you are and yeah in the drone you can get that other view so like when it comes to airplanes 99 percent of pictures of airplanes that are on the ground are from the exact same perspective and that drone to get you an extra 10 feet the airplane completely changes and is completely a really unique picture that is great for social media and really the cost of it is justifiable. So if you want a drone, you can justify it in your head that uh, <laughs> you can do these things that weren't possible unless you had a big stick and you know, maybe a big other stick to hit the picture button. But So that's what I like is to get the, the obscure stuff that sets you apart from the people that are you know stuck on the ground.
2: And definitely, like you said, Mikey, even just those 10-foot those higher shots, you get the whole wing, the tail section. It just makes it look more dynamic is what I'm trying to say. And like you said, going from a $10,000 a day down to just a little drone in your hand, it, it is amazing. So,
3: like Going back to the TV days, say the helicopters, you can only afford that for a couple of days. Any show, unless you're Pawn Stars, you can probably afford that. But when the first drones came out, the first drones that I saw from an industry point of view, a lot were homemade they looked like something that was out of an '80s, uh, you know, short circuit movie. Uh, it was like wires and, and you know, co- like I don't even know how many engines these things had. Probably six or eight engines on them, and they're big. So you had to get this big camera out, and there was no stabilization, and you'd get a few maybe good shots with no wind and all that stuff. And, and of course they were very expensive. So these camera guys, a lot of with television, especially documentary, well, exclusively documentary television, a lot of the camera guys own their own cameras or rent cameras to the production. So a part of, a television production's goal is not to own anything, have any liability or anything. They just want to make the television product. So all the equipment, a lot of times comes from the people shooting the stuff. So, Guys would make these drones in hopes to rent them to the production companies. So, a lot of it was like pro bono. So, they would bring a drone out, get some shots, and then hopefully be able to sell it to recoup some of their cost. And much like computers were back in the 90s, in the late 90s, every time you bought a computer, it was already obsolete. And that's kind of how it was with the drones. They were just, you know, like the Phantoms and that kind of stuff. Like, the Phantom was, was fairly short lived because. Now the DJI Mini Pros and all that fun stuff. Forgive me, I don't know the names. I don't think they can get too much better for the cost right now. I think I think right now we're at a good point, a good cost point for anybody that's looking to purchase a drone. That this is a good time because I think the exponential benefits you get. I think is yeah, we're on a pretty good curve right now. So if anyone was on the fence of getting one, I think right now is the best time.
1: So you guys, Buffalo Airways, you're you know you're doing your thing every day. You're getting up. You're you're. You got, you know, you got the lunchbox. You're going to work, you know. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're in the first row seats at Lakers games. You know, Jessica Alba, uh, all kinds of uh, groupies. You know, everybody wants a piece of you, The the money's rolling in. You know, trashed hotel rooms, all all that kind of stuff. So, uh, how did you cope with that? Actually, I'm I'm kidding.
3: <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't Lakers. It was it was the Maple Leafs. And uh, it wasn't Jessica Alba, it was someone Canadian. And the hotel rooms did happen. So, yeah, you weren't too far off there. All right. But it was the Canadian version. So, we're a little bit nicer. It was a bit more maple syrup. And uh, (laughs) I loved it. Uh, It was a lot of work. Okay, going back, we did six season ice pilots, and it was nonstop. If you look at a show like Pawn Stars, they can shoot a full season pretty much, say, two, three days per episode. So, you know, you can hammer it out in about 45 days, maybe 50 days. We shot all year round. So, of course, mainly in the winter, there was a little bit of summer, but then there was the post-production. So for the six seasons of Ice Pots, it was nonstop. And every vacation I went on, everything I did, there was a camera guy there. And these camera guys, it wasn't very intrusive. It was most like they were family, and uh, and they were. I still talk to them nonstop. They get really ingrained into everything. And, and, and so it takes a certain type of people. Some people, they run from that, like, They can't last two seconds because it's, you know, odd, (laughs) but, uh, but some people like myself uh, liked it. It was, it was fun. And you could see the positive end of it. And you always kind of try to stay positive. If there's any negativity and we've all seen that anybody that is into any has a camera or a spotlight or anything, any like even your those Facebook friends that we all know, the negativity is the worst. And so you always just try to stay positive. And when really cool things happen, like the front row of the Senators or the Flames or the Maple Leafs, you just appreciate it because it could be gone in a split second. But lucky enough, we've been keeping going. So.
1: You uh, have the best perspective about the importance of being able to get things out to rural communities. How important is that kind of use of drones going to be to communities up north? And as well, how will that, you know, how will that change and maybe build the Buffalo Airways business?
3: Just like anywhere else, but I think the north would be a little bit easier because we don't have to worry about a lot of congestion, you know, as cities do. So you could actually have deliveries in town. You know, you've seen every courier company try that, but that would be great because the manpower, you know, the most expensive thing for anything that does with logistics is the last mile. And that is everybody's fighting that. We're fighting that. UPS is fighting that. Everybody. So, that's what you gotta do if this thing can solve that last mile thing then it's going to be a game changer and we're all going to get our stuff quicker so looking forward to that day when that comes so we'll probably need well, we need about 100 pounds 100 pounds of lift over 30 miles maybe would that be a good goal
0: I think we're about halfway there right now. Most of the heavy lifters can do about what fifty or so, somewhere in that area. The trick is the
1: combination of the range, and, and so
0: I guess there's nothing stopping you from just doing gas power, and then that solves that well, issue. Well, I mean, there's hydropower,
1: and so they're they're now doing solid fuel cells. So uh, one of the mill spec products, they just set the record: thirty nine hours continuous flight unmanned with a solid fuel cell. So, and that one has, you know, it's not a hundred pounds payload, but it's you know, it's a little it's bit so now it's going to be really, you know, working, working to get those things together.
0: I mean, let's face it. At this point, we have all the base technology. We're just dealing with scale at this right. point and, and figuring out how do we get that big, how do we power it for that long, stuff like that. Problems have been solved. It's just no one has put it all together yet. So, why don't we do a little bit of putting things together ourselves, Mikey, if you do not mind? So, we want to talk to you about all sorts of things. I'm always surprised where an interview goes and the cool places in which we expand because I never actually even thought about servicing those communities, which is a big aspect of what Buffalo Airways does. I kind of focused more on the airport itself. And yeah, came up with a few use cases, which I want to run by you and just see what your thoughts are on these and see if these things might be useful to you as a company in the future. Before we get to that, though, I do not want to taint this at all. So I was just going to ask before that, in terms of operating an airline, no matter where it is in the world, can you think of any benefits that you'd have for having a drone, just before I, I toss you a few ideas of my own?
3: It'd be the last mile, but it, it, that's a little bit different because we're we're an airline that deals with the last mile. Uh, most airlines don't. They open the door, they push cargo out, and they say, later, folks, we handle the last mile. So th- that would be the biggest thing. Is a drone going to replace a, a Lockheed Electra? Is the drone going to replace a 737? Eventually, maybe, um, but Boeing will be making those. Um, certainly not Curtis or Douglas they're long gone, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so from the the core element of what is an airline, um, I think, are we 60, 70, 80 years away from that? Uh, maybe not, maybe next week, you never know what Elon Musk is going to do, but, um. Yeah, I, I would say the last mile would be the biggest.
0: Because at least in my mind, the first use case I came up with would be aircraft position. Because I know that you guys do have a number of facilities. I mean, that's going to waste a lot of time and money and, and the time of a skilled pilot, the money it would take to sort of keep a unit there Uh would being able to position an aircraft automatically. Would that be something useful to you guys?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, fairing aircraft would be, it would be part of something like that. But again, that system to be able to do that, we're onboarding a 737 right now. So like even like the lavatory ashtray has its own, two month paper trail uh, to so to actually develop a system to actually manipulate the controls of an existing airplane to move it somewhere would be quite um, from, from a commercial standpoint, or even the inner company, like you say, like something that's non-revenue, like, like a ferry flight. Really in my brain, what I'm thinking right now, what's going to happen is a company like Lufthansa, somebody in Europe is going to take an Airbus and they're going to do a cargo flight at one in the morning from Frankfurt to uh, you know, Munich unmanned and whatever, the, however they do that is going to be the first and it's going to be an Airbus. It's going to be in Europe uh, and it's probably going to be Lufthansa. So once they do that, then we'll figure out what works. Um, but that trickle down effect, like you can imagine what's in a Dreamliner right now as avionics is what my great grandkids are going to see in the airplane we operate because it's just everything kind of trickles down to us. Right. So, um, yeah for for us personally it would be i think going back to that smaller stuff is how do we how do we solve a big issue and again like beating a dead horse it's the last mile
0: well here's another idea security at airports at least the ones around here always a massive deal i'm not totally sure yeah. about your hangers and your equipment but we do have a robotic dog it can be <laughs> programmed to walk around yeah. the perimeter is security an issue for you guys is that something that, that um, in, with a um, you UAV? know what
3: like stuff would be like a perfect example for a drone would be smoke patrol uh, being able to send a drone out to go look for fires look for hot spots and fires uh the, the, like, the flare systems and stuff like that that would be something that is in reach today that um if you know being able to fight fire with drones at night because you can't take normal i know a long time ago i was in europe at a conference and they were pitching these drones uh, that would drop out of a Herc, and they were firefighting drones and stuff like that, specifically to fight fire at night because the fire at night is a lot lower. Um, so right off the bat, anything to do with fire suppression—you know, looking for fires, looking for hot spots, mapping fires at the end of the day—and um, then of course, if you get big enough, actually putting water on fires, which would be. You know, you got to solve the battery power issue and all that fun stuff. Pipeline patrol, looking for leaks in any of the pipelines, Um, being able to do that at an extreme cost-efficient, because I have a friend right now that flies eight hours a day in a 172 and looks for leaks on pipelines and stuff like that. So that could be easily dronified. And uh, security, yes, uh, but I would see that would be pretty much good for everybody. And not just aviation, your local Walmart, your, you know, your mall, your everybody would love to have drones. Um, a little scary, though. That's kind of on our way to Terminator. But for, from aviation, I think anything to do with fire suppression would be something that the government and companies would jump after really quickly.
0: This is what I love about talking to Mikey because he's nailed the exact reason why I'm here. I'm here to try and get in on the good side of the robot so that when they do inevitably take over, uh, <laughs> yeah. they'll look fondly on me and my service to them. I was the guy who fixed them every time. So they had, <laughs> I'm their friend and uh, you yep. all are going before I am. But uh, on top of that, Mikey, it is really interesting that you bring that up because if you are just joining us today because Mikey was gracious with his time and, and joined us to discuss drones because I know you have a worldwide following of Ice Pilot fans and hopefully they are listening to us right now. The episode that will go up before this is actually our Hummingbird episode. The guys from Hummingbird Drones, they are firefighters in British Columbia, Canada. Working on drone technology to actually help fight fires, track fires. They haven't quite gone to using a drone to put out a fire, but right now they're focusing on data collection, so they can take that and transfer it over to the pilots that are actually flying in the day. But I don't want to ruin the episode too much, you guys are doing. A hundred percent.
3: That's that's where a drone would save a life right away, and I'd uh, be all for that technology.
0: That's kind of the last use case I kind of had because you guys are sort of a last mile thing, as you said there's a lot of wilderness you have someone call for help it's not super easy to get a vehicle out there all the time in the conditions that you oh, guys yeah, live in no.
3: a broad thing like search and rescue which would be huge being able to count caribou count uh, bison count uh, care like all the animals like that is a traditional aircraft stuff being able to do that remotely would be better uh, in a long ways but Maybe not too quickly because we got a twin otter doing that job right now. So hopefully not tomorrow, Um, but uh, like that kind of stuff of counting, stuff uh, of mapping, uh, water levels, um, anything that is, you need higher resolution than, you know, what Google Earth can give you. So, you know, staking for mining where they have to go out and make sure that they have the right properties, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of use cases and just need the range right now, I guess. And then the ability to fly it without line of sight. I guess I think that would be to overcome for again to lower people, not the not the professionals like yourself, but a, a normal person off the street like myself.
1: And I and I think Mikey, you you hit on it a little bit earlier. I th- I just like to explore is you know you talked about your 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 buddy that's doing the uh, the pipelines, obviously. So so that is a big use case that you know we and others are working on now that we can do the beyond visual line of sight that you said. But from your perspective, I'd like to get your take as a pilot, because the big issue with the beyond visual on a sight and just the increasing use of drones, particularly as we get more autonomous, is it's just going to be there's going to be more drones flying around. Right. So now you're a commercial aviation pilot. So obviously safety is paramount uh, in your industry. So, you know, how do you feel about uh, all these unmanned systems flying around? And, you know, how, how do you think? You know, if you were suddenly put in charge of Transport Canada, how do you think you would approach ensuring that you guys can all share the skies safely?
3: Well, I think nature has its handfuls of all the birds around. Uh, <laughs> there's probably there's a, there's a million birds for every drone. Uh, if, I was, if I was a Transport Canada minister, I would be doing my best to make sure that everything is done uh, that is drone friendly. Uh, because that's where it's going. And and we've seen multiple times throughout every level of politician in it, all throughout history, when they try to stifle technology through regulations, it never ends well. It stifles everything. Uh, drones are high, highly efficient, great for the environment, and, and low cost. And so any regulations, of course, there's airport safety, but, you know, like the no-fly zones around airports and stuff like that that is great. Uh, but there's, that's again, 0.0001% of Canada. Uh, how do we service the rest of Canada? And so, yeah, I would, I would be pro drone, um, for anything, any, any of this kind of technology, um, something like Starlink with, uh, with, um, Elon Musk's, uh, you know, all the satellites in the air that is benefit to all of everybody in Northwest territories. Cause you can get internet everywhere. Um, so if you have internet everywhere, that drone has internet everywhere and it can go anywhere and, Yeah. So, uh, any of that technology, I'm I'm full, I'm full supportive until it gets to terminator style and then we'll have to go back in time and try to stop them, but we'll figure that out.
2: Yeah. I pretty much think the, with the, the drones now, it's all starting with light stuff like medical supplies. And I think down the road when the battery technology gets better, we'll be able to do longer, better flights with heavier payloads. So, and, and the, definitely the visual line of sight, um, being able to have you know a heads-up display or have the technology to know where other aircraft are in your airspace and where you're at and just the safety of drones in the long run um, but no it's been nice being on this with you and talking to you Mike to meet Brian and, and all the best to you
3: I got some radio in the background but yeah thanks it's yeah so once once technology just like adsB airplanes know where the airplanes are as soon as drones can talk to airplanes and airplanes can talk to drones everyone will get along so uh, so if there's some adsb technologies that kind of stuff that one little thing will solve all the issues and then we'll have all new issues to deal with but we'll figure about those later um but uh, yeah i'm excited about that because again i've seen what it did for the television industry hopefully i can see what it does with the aviation industry and uh, we'll all be flying around an uber drone soon
0: that was mikey McBrien, the general manager of buffalo airways one of the stars of ice pilots northwest territories Filmmaker in his own right, and he made pixelate heroes. And also he did some work on a few other television shows. So the guy, aviation expert, and also movie expert. We probably should have gone a few more tips, Kevin, if we're going to turn this into a video podcast. But hey, we'll have him on next time. And that's the first question we can ask him. But that will be next show because this show's done. And once again, I was your podcast in command, Brian Calhoun, and I was joined by Kevin Delaggroll and Chad Walker. And this has been Did You Bring the Batteries, probably by Armus. us.